So that just kind of, those titles sometimes help you understand what is taking place. Now, we would, I would typically read through the chapter, read through the chapter, read through the chapter. And I, and I tried to explain this to a guy the other day because he was talking, he was asking me about the difference between what we typically do and what uh, some churches do. I mean, there, there's different ways that people do preaching. My goal is to do this. Let the meaning of the text come up from the page and when it needs to slap you around and when it needs to like hug you. I mean, it. but the way um, Grace to You, kind of their tagline is, is like unleashing God's word one verse at a time. So it's almost like, hey, I'm going to let the lion out and he may let you pet him and he may crawl all over you. But at the end of the day, just letting the lion out kind of sermon is the meaning of the text it's not I have a sermon and I'll add verses to the text is how you typically would see us kind of work this out so verse one my heart overflows with a pleasing theme I address my verses to the king my tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe So you're seeing that, just want to make sure. Okay, so is the author excited? Is the author excited? Yes. Who is the author writing to? The king. And he is going to not only write to the king, but allow those in the kingdom to what join into it right but he's writing a, a kind of a, a addressing his verses to the king and presumably then they would be sung in some way or or, or, not, or another he says my tongue is like a the pen of a ready scribe now so i'm just going to slow down now and say okay um the author is 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 key to this but really he is going to begin by talking about the king. And so for me, I'm going to mark every reference to king, to the king. So we're going to read that. You can mark it in every pronoun. So we ready? Verse 2. You, it's the king. If I gave you the page, you can mark it. That's my version of a crown there. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is for you forever. Your hand, gird your, again, if you can read today and you've got something in your hand and you could mark in some way what we're marking here, it'll help you as we go along. Gird your sword on your thigh, I missed one, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Your throne, 
O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. Not sure if that's the way to say that. Or Ophir, I guess you would maybe say. I don't know. So, I've marked every reference to the king. And when you stop and consider what's going on here, you're probably asking yourself like, well, let's just say this. First of all, verse 1 is kind of an introduction, and verses 2 through 9 is like part 1 of the body of this song. It's about the king. That would be probably something you would draw out of there. Now, that's what I'm seeing there. I mean, he's talking about the king to the king. The first thing I would kind of see in verse 2, when he says, you are the most handsome of the sons of men, and grace is poured out upon your lips. Those, in those, that verse 2, the first thing is, I see the king's person. He is handsome. Now, we're going to talk about, like, is he just talking about his physical features? Is he just talking about his physical features that make him handsome? I think the text helps us understand what kind of makes him handsome. So we're going to move forward. Then we're going to see grace is upon your lips. So I'm going to learn something about his words. So I'm thinking about the king... I'm thinking about his person. I'm thinking about his words. Go on down to verse 4. At the very end, your awesome deeds. We're talking about his works. I would do it in that order to help me understand a couple of things. And then in verse 3, at the very end, in your splendor and majesty. So I'm thinking about his glory. If somebody was to say... In this chapter, as you read it, as you see it addressed to the king, about the king, what does it tell you about the king? And I would say it tells you something about his person. It tells you something about the words that come out of his mouth. It tells you something about his works. Things kind of stand out to me. It's kind of... Now... If I were to kind of think about his person, I just kind of made note, a note in the text about that. What, what do I learn about him as a person? Which will be tied to his words and his works. But look at verse 4. In your majesty, write out victorious for the cause of truth, meekness, and righteousness. That's a list in the text. And it's telling me something about the king. 
It's telling me something about the way he works. It's, it's, it would be, so it would be like this. If someone were to say, when I say Jared Gibson, when I say the way in which his shepherding works, what does that look like? When I would speak of maybe one of you here and I say, that guy is her husband. Her husband. What does his husbanding, husbanding look like? I don't even know if that's true. Uh, that's fine. Or wifing. You like that? Just throw that on there. Or parenting. If I was to say like, let's use three words to describe... This person. But there's not just three words in here. Verse 4, truth, meekness, righteousness. Last night we were talking about our fighter verse this week, and it says something like, does it say something like he guards his words? Is that what it says? Something like that in the fighter verse? I can't really recall it right off my head, but listen. I was sitting there and I was speaking to one of our particular kids just said listen all he's what he's saying is when he says something he makes sure it gets done he makes sure it gets done like he doesn't say this and do another he he makes sure it gets done he's all he's not saying oh I want to step in here and be a part I'm gonna and then not do it He doesn't say, I'm going to go pick up the toys in my room and then not do it. He he guards his word. This person, this king, truth, meekness, that's not weakness. That is not weakness. It's the idea of strength under control. He is all-powerful. But he doesn't push people around. And righteousness. So what, what we're learning about this person and the way in which his rule works, which flows out of who he is, the way in which that works is this, truth, meekness, and righteousness. Another thing, verse 6. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of upright. Ness. It's walking uprightly. Righteousness and hated wickedness. That's another thing about it. So if you're thinking about this kingdom, his per, this king of this kingdom, his, the way in which, or, or the way that he is, is matched up with what he says and what he does. All of that, you're getting the whole package here, which is showing you his glory. It's it's demonstrating his glory, the weight of his glory. So if you were teaching this text to someone and you wanted to say, listen, let's look at this psalm, it's talking about a king. So let's just mark every reference to king and then let's find out what's this king like. 
I, I want to see him. I want him to be on display. So let's just kind of get an, get an idea of what he is like. And there's so much more that we could look at here, right? There's so much more that you could look at. You're just... This, the, the guy that's writing this down is so excited to expound on the king. He delights in getting to be an ambassador of, of uh, speaking about the glories of this kingdom and this king and what it's like. He's just putting it on display and you're like, are you kidding me? That's what he's doing. Not forced. Verse 10. I, I move in this psalm, not me. Again, when we do sermons, we're not even really, we're kind of working up to a sermon. But when we do a sermon, we're saying, what does the text say? What is it? We're going to talk about this. What does it mean and how does it apply? We're going to get there. And you might say, well, I'm already feeling a little bit of, you should be feeling a little bit of like, oh, I'm, I'm seeing some things here, right? Okay, so verse 10. Set up for someone to, that, who is about to enter in relationship with this king. And so you're going to mark that. And I'm just going to let you look up the text that I've already marked. And then kind of sit down and look at the text that you have before you. Verse 10. Hear, O daughter, and consider, and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house. And the king will desire your beauty. You see, you see in that? So whoever this daughter is, she needs to incline her ear, right? She, she needs to listen. She needs to forget her people and her father's house. She, she's going to have to leave that, is the idea. And the king will desire your beauty since he is your Lord. Bow down to him. Verse 12. The people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts. The richest of the people. All glorious is the princess in her chamber with robes interwoven with gold. In many, color ro ro many colored robes, she is led to the king with her virgin companions following behind her. With joy and gladness, they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. So, there's a list in the text. She is to consider, incline, forget. The result will be, king will desire you. Peoples of the earth will give you favor. 
The robes that you wear will be interwoven with gold. So you're looking, again, when I'm reading something, I find out there's an author. I know who he's writing to. The one he is writing to, he expounds upon. And then he speaks of this one that that is about to enter into relationship with this king. And so then it concludes, in the place of your father, the, the writer kind of concludes here, in the place of your father shall be your sons, you will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations, therefore nations will praise you forever and ever. Okay, so you say, we slowed down, we're slowing down, we're looking at the king that's mentioned over and over, we're finding out kind of some, what are the, what's the big picture items on displaying who he is? There is this daughter, this, this young woman presumably that is, is, um, is, is being called to enter in to a relationship with this king and it will result in great blessing for her. Okay, so you ready? Once this has been kind of read, you could say, well, this could be about a particular occasion. Like, this is a particular occasion that's in mind here. Let's consider that. What is the author writing about? The whole getting married process. A wedding. It it has the idea of this woman is called upon when you get down there and it's like you're going to leave your father's house and join into relationship with this man. And if you were to read about the ancient world, there was a betrothal period. Uh, The king would then prepare to get his bride. He would come out. In all of his kind of splendor, he would go to the bride's self. She might have some fears about leaving and they are going to go into the palace together along with all of her court with her and live in marital bliss and have children and it's going to be glorious. Is that cool? Now, let's keep going. We're going to go back to this just for a minute. What do you learn about the king? We learn about his person, his words, his works, and his glory. That just stands out to me. I just kind of keep reiterating that to myself. So, as I, if someone were writing about um, this going on, which was what we have, And they're kind of given the task like the biggest wedding in the kingdom is about to take place. I get to write about it. So they start writing it out and they describe the king. And they even like go down there and they say, oh my goodness. Go and give a note to that young lady that's about to marry this king and tell him, tell her, don't you listen, you could ever imagine, prepare yourself You will live in eternal blessing. That's kind of what happens. How is his chosen bride to respond in this text? Consider, incline, forget. 
That, that's, that's kind of, right? Keep moving. What will this result in? Desire, favor, splendor, joy, and gladness. Conclusion of the kind of the psalm. What will this union result in? A kingdom with people and praise forever. So we're working on the text, working on the text, working on the text. You get to Psalm 45, you sit down, you say, today I'm going to have my devotion in Psalm 45. I sit down and begin to read it. I see there's someone who's writing, he's writing about a king, he's writing about a groom king and his bride. I think there must have been immediate context that's going on and then there's potentially, in my mind, something greater than that going on. And I'm not the only one that would think that because a lot of people would say this is a messianic psalm. It is a psalm that's speaking about the Messiah who is bringing his bride to himself. Lots of people, lots of people would say, hey, this is a messianic psalm. So then the groom would be Jesus and the bride would be the church. Right? So you say, okay, 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 okay. We can track with that. So, if I was to read about Jesus and read this thinking about Jesus and I was to think about the Gospels and just in the, in just, I mean, lots of places, but I'm thinking about all that stuff. How would that help me understand it? Because I'm reading the Psalm 45 as a Christian. As a Christian, understanding there's this messianic psalm set before me. And I know a lot about him. I know a lot about him, right? So I could say, when Jesus was on this earth, even when his enemies were like looking to find out a way to destroy him, they could never find anything wrong with him he had an impeccable character it, they, they were constantly the disobey him he had this great power his words had power in the end of Matthew there's this place where he um they, they they've listened to him and they say we've never heard anybody speak like this and that's in the end of the Sermon on the Mount. But then at the end of this miracle section, right after that, they said, we've never seen anybody with powers like this. We can't even imagine this. So you have him healing the blind and casting out demons and bringing dead men to life. We see him as victorious over all of our enemies, sin, death, hell, and the grave. As the scripture unfolds his person and work, we do see his kingdom not like what we would think it would be, but in his first coming, you're like, there is this, this humility, this humbling of himself, even though he had all this glorious power, he humbles himself. We see that he was victorious, again, over all of our enemies, but also that this was all tied to that he had come to rescue his bride he came to rescue his bride. 
That's what even the mystery of marriage is about Christ and His church. He's come to rescue His bride, to bring them to Himself. To purify her for Himself. We also learn that His kingdom is not just here, but it's in the hereafter. He said, I will go and prepare a place and when I come again to receive you unto Myself, you know, you can be with me forever. So we would say, who is this King? It's the eternal Son of God who became man so that He could be all of our enemies. So in order to purify us and to make us prepared, adorned as a bride is for her, her husband that's to come. And we say, look, the relationship has been inaugurated in a way you're living in this betrothal period, but the fullness of that is yet to come. And so you're constantly waiting and you're saying, hey, get ready, prepare yourself, be in waiting, look, look, look out the window, someone, get ready, he's coming. Get your eyes focused on that. Live in light of that. You say, why? You say, because see the King. Do you see the King? Do you see who He is? Do you see His words? Do you see His works? Do you see His glory on display? Do you see it? Do you see it with that kind of anticipation? Why are you hardening your heart? Look to the King. Can somebody go out and see, has the King come? You say, no, 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 no. I won't even have to do that. There'll be trumpets sounding. The King has come. Are you preparing yourself for the coming of this great King? That's the picture. So the church is called to consider that. To incline their ear to it. To listen and to not look around and go, if I turn away from this security blanket in this present age and put my hope and trust in that king, he might falter. No, that's not what we're saying. We, we're, we're saying to people everywhere, is, you're saying like was said, what was said to Abraham, leave your country to a place that I will show you. That's what we're saying. We're calling people to believe. We're saying, turn from this. Trust Him. Or really we're saying, there He is from trust in the wrong thing to trust in the one true and living God who became man so that we might be rescued. We're calling them, listen, you trust in such a way that you throw yourself at His mercy, bowing before Him to rescue and save you. What does He promise? What does He promise? What does He say? He will clothe His bride in majesty and glory and splendor. She will come into this kingdom. His bride will come into a kingdom filled with righteousness and holiness and purity. He's, he's promised to like give Himself. 
He's already demonstrated that, but He's promised to give Himself in everything. According to the riches of His glory, He lavishes on His bride. That's what He says. So as she waits, as she waits, she's already received this the Spirit, but as she waits, she just keeps in her mind all the wonder of being the bride of the King. She waits for the fullness. So we kind of would say as the church, are you praising the one who purchased us to himself to be his bride? Are you praising him? Are you honoring him? Are you living for him? Are you working to see the nations come and be glad in Him? So so that the whole earth could understand the glory and see Him and savor Him. Are you awaiting His return with anticipation? Literally, let's say before your mind, He's coming, He's coming, He's coming, He's coming. And then if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian today, what king are you bowing down to? What king? What thing in this world is going to give you what He has promised to give His people. What king in this world is going to satisfy you in this way? What king in this world is going to love you truly? Truly love you? What king in this world is seeking for your good? What king in this world can promise you an eternal kingdom? Like everything about this world, you say, listen, I'm going to get everything out of this world that I possibly can. When when you get there, you realize that all you have done is ran after something that is like a broken cistern. There's no water. It's dirt. I always tell people, it's like you're, you're running after a mirage. How long are you going to run after a mirage? How many of those do you need to get dirt in your mouth from? How many times are you going to run through the desert after a mirage, get there, throw yourself in it, and dirt's in your mouth, and hop back up and look out and say, there's another mirage, I'm running, and I fall down again, dirt in my mouth. How long are you going to do that? How long are you going to do that? To run after the kingdoms of this present age to, and say, they'll deliver, they'll deliver, they'll deliver. Why not abandon all hope in the idols of this age turning to Him? We ask for wisdom to see We ask that we would savor it. Lord, I pray for some here that are Christian people who are looking to a church even to be their idol and not Christ. 
who are looking for like some kind of need to be met other than the king to meet it. Who are longing for that. Some Christian maybe that is still seeking to try to find their all of their hope outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who maybe is seeking to be entertained more than they are to run after the one who has rescued. I pray for the lost person here that is longing to find their satisfaction, their hope, their comfort, their love. They're trying to find it in every other place. Lord, I pray that you would crush whatever dead God that they are chasing. I pray that you would crush it before their eyes so that they can see. And I pray that all of us would say, like the Apostle Peter, where else could we go? In Christ's name, amen. If you would stand with me.